Welcome to the Storyform podcast. Storyformed is here to celebrate the soul-forming power of imagination, good books, and beauty in the life of your child. Hello and welcome to the Storyform podcast. I'm Holly Packiam, and on today I'm joined by Adam Pelser. I'm so excited that he's here with us. Adam, are you there? I'm here. Yeah, thanks for having me on with you, Holly. It's great to be on. It's great to uh, contribute to this Storyform podcast. I'm really excited about it. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, just to give you all, all of you listeners a little bit of info about Adam. He studied at Baylor University, and that's where he got his PhD from. He studied under someone named Bob Roberts, who is a renowned Christian philosopher. And Adam is now a philosophy professor at the Air Force Academy, where he teaches courses on ethics, philosophy of religion, philosophy of love, and even a course on C.S. Lewis and philosophy. And we do talk about C.S. Lewis quite a bit on the podcast. And he writes on emotions and virtue formation. And Adam's currently writing a book, on emotional evidence for God, where he explains how we can see God with the eyes of our hearts. And so why I really wanted to have Adam on the podcast is because I recently had a friend who's a listener who mentioned that we reference goodness, truth, and beauty often on the podcast, but we don't typically go into depth or talk about these ideas um, too much other than referencing them. So we thought it'd be a great idea to dedicate an entire podcast to digging into this a little bit more. And the more I thought of it, I thought, who better than to converse with us than Adam? So Adam, tell us a little bit about you and your family. Oh yeah. Thanks Holly for that kind introduction. That's really nice. Um, yeah, well, uh, my wife, uh, who, you know, is, uh, uh, Katie, we've been married for 14 years and we have three children. Our oldest Luke is 12 uh, just a little bit younger than your Sophia, and and then we have a six-year-old Naomi and a three-year-old uh, Caleb, and uh, they keep us busy all the time. Uh, we're usually running from one thing to the next. Luke plays a lot of basketball and uh, and is involved in music. And Naomi, uh, we were just at a little track meet for her today. It was uh, nothing serious. She's just in kindergarten, but she's running with a little running club at school, and um, and uh, and we love living here in Colorado Springs, and. Uh, I, I really enjoy the job at the Air Force Academy, and uh, we love exploring the, the city, the area, all the natural beauty of Colorado Springs, and uh, and and we're very fortunate to have such a good church and be part of a church where uh, where uh, you and Glenn are, are uh, leading, and um, we've uh, we've been blessed by your friendship and uh, blessed by your ministry here. So we're so grateful for that, and I'm I'm grateful to be able to be on with you today, talking about uh, talking about stories and talking about uh, goodness, truth, and beauty with you. Yeah, well, thanks, Adam. Yeah, we're we're so grateful for our friendship with you guys, and yeah, Adam has such a sweet, sweet family. Um, well, Adam, thinking about uh, philosophy, what would you say were there? one or a handful of things that led you to study philosophy? Yeah, well, for me, I, I, I feel like in a way I sort of ended up uh, in philosophy by accident. Uh, of course, with God, there aren't any accidents. <laughs> I think he led me He led me into the study of philosophy. But I, I, uh, I went through a public uh, school system growing up in California and, and never really was exposed to philosophy as a, as a discipline. I never really thought of it as something you could study when I was thinking about what to major in in college. Philosophy never even occurred to me as an option. 
Um, I was actually really interested in in theology and biblical studies. I thought maybe I might want to uh, go to seminary one day and and be a pastor. Um, and I I remember I was visiting Biola University. It was it was the only Christian university that I applied to uh, when I was when I was graduating from high school. And I I visited and I met with the head of their biblical studies department. And after talking with me for about twenty minutes about my interests and about my background, uh, he said, "Well." I don't think you should major in biblical studies. I think you should major in philosophy. And then if you want to go into ministry, you can go uh, do do an MDF or, or uh, do graduate work in, in theology. But he said, he said, if I were you, I would start with uh, philosophy. That seems to be where your interests are and where your heart lies. And I, I said, well, if the head of the biblical studies department is telling me not to major in his, in his field, then I guess I should listen to him. And uh, uh, maybe he just didn't like, very, like me very much, and he just wanted to make sure I didn't end up in his department. I don't know. But, uh, but I, I, uh, I, I turned my attention to philosophy and sort of never looked back. Hmm. Wow. So you, did it seem like you looked back and thought that? Really involved. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I, I was going to say I became really enthralled with the study um the philosophy as a discipline is a sort of love of wisdom. You know, it's the loving pursuit of, of truth and of wisdom. And uh, I saw some Christian philosophers doing philosophy in a way that really um, that really illuminated the Christian faith to me in ways that I'd never thought about it before and helped me to understand it more deeply and more fully um, than I ever had before. And um, I read books like uh, J.P. Moreland, uh, is a professor of philosophy at, at Biola, uh, read his book called Love Your God With All Your Mind. He talks about Jesus's great commandment to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and how many people in the Christian church today, especially in the evangelical world, um, uh, have have moved toward a kind of anti-intellectualism. You know, not not really using their mind, not really pursuing truth because they're afraid of what where it might lead. And mm-hmm. um, and and he argues in the book that that the that the pursuit of truth is always going to be uh, a pursuit of God and and a pursuit that leads us in the direction of God. Um, and so uh, books like that really had a had a profound influence on me. Well, that, thanks for mentioning that, Adam. Yeah, I was thinking be great. Would, would you recommend a book like that to someone who's who would say, you know, I'm not really very familiar with these these terms? Would that be kind of an entry level book, would you say? Yes, I, I think it would be I think it would be challenging for a for a reader who's never been exposed to to philosophy or to um, a philosophical approach to thinking about the Christian faith. Uh, but I think it's um, but but even though it would be challenging, I think it's it's a good it's a good place to start. It would be a good challenge uh, for somebody. It would be a good introduction to uh, thinking about just the life of the mind uh, as 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 a Christian and the role that the life of the mind plays and can play and ought to play in, in the Christian life. Mm-hmm. So when, I think for some of our listeners, when they hear of goodness, truth, and beauty, they, you know, they might think of classical Greek culture. And, you know, one might say that Greeks idealize these virtues. But would you say, would you say these are Christian virtues? Would Christians or should Christians value these virtues? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it is true that this uh, this um, uh, this three part um, conceptualization of goodness, truth, and beauty in some ways does 
uh, does go all the way back to ancient Greek culture, even prior to um, uh, prior to Christianity. Um, mm, yeah. But in a way, a- ancient Greek culture wasn't really all that different from our culture in the sense that most people didn't care much about what was really good and what was really beautiful and what was really true. Right. Most people were concerned with. Um, the things of the world, right? They were concerned with wealth and with power and with entertainment and with, uh, you know, satisfying their appetites. They wanted to eat, drink and be merry uh, for tomorrow they die. And um, and so uh, so it really wasn't Greek culture in general that that uh, was interested in goodness, truth and beauty, but rather maybe the um, the the philosophical elites in in ancient Greek culture like Socrates and Plato. Plato, philosophers who started thinking, boy, there's more to this life um, than yeah. these worldly pleasures. There's more to this life than just trying to seek wealth, uh, to seek power, uh, even even through unjust ways. Uh, and and Plato uh, and, and and he's the student of Socrates. Uh, Plato writes down how Socrates would would go around Athens and talk to people and try to encourage. Um, uh, people to think about uh, how life might have more meaning, and it was and it was through Socrates and Plato that we get this idea that there might be something um, something better than this this world that we see, this world full of entertainment and um, simple pleasures. Right, that there that there might be a, a real goodness and a real truth and a real beauty out there uh, to be sought after, and uh, and and so. They did think that these were really important. Um, in a way, I suppose for them, they were sort of like idols because they didn't, for them, point to God. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But they, but they still, I think, were grasping at a truth that the Christian can um, can can see more fully. Uh, that we can see more fully because we uh, we know the source of all goodness, truth, and beauty. Um, we know who goodness, truth, and beauty comes from, and we know that God is the ultimate perfection of goodness, truth, and beauty. And that was the thing that, uh, that Plato and Socrates didn't, didn't, quite, uh, didn't quite grasp. Uh, they couldn't quite see that. And so they thought that goodness and truth and beauty were these sort of abstract ideas, these, as Plato would call them, forms uh, that just existed uh, that we could maybe look to and try to focus on and, and meditate on. Um, but for them, it didn't get them all the way to the personal God of the Bible, the personal God of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And maybe, Adam, we should take a minute here and just talk a little bit about, or how would you define these words? That's a good question. So um, I think it's it's important that we don't try to uh, define them too independently from one another, because that which is truly good is also truly beautiful and that which is truly beautiful is also truly good um and so i think we need to uh, be careful not to think of these as too distinct from one another but um goodness is 
when we when we talk about goodness, truth, and beauty, what we mean by goodness is we're talking about uh, we're talking about excellence. We're talking about in many cases we're talking about human goodness, and human goodness is a kind of uh, it's virtue, it's um, traits of character. It is the kinds of excellences that make. Um, that help us to live life well, that help us to uh, live life in, in obedience to God well. That's what, uh, that's what goodness is. And um, beauty is, uh, is similarly a kind of excellence. We often think of, of, of um, you know, visual beauty. We think about things being beautiful to our eyes, but there are also um, we, we also see beauty in people's hearts. We see beauty in their, uh, kindness. We see beauty in their, uh, in intelligence and in their, um, and in the ways that they reflect God's image in the ways that they bear God's image. And, um, and truth then is, um, one way to think about truth is as a kind of correspondence between what we think what we believe, how we feel, and how, how the world really is. Um, what we get, uh, when, when we have truth, what we have is uh, a correct correspondence between the way that we're perceiving the world or the way that we're representing the world in our art or in our stories and the way that the world really is. Um, and, and that's what truth is. And, uh, and so as, uh, those definitions, I think, might be helpful to us as we think about how we can um, how we can uh, engage in stories in a way that uh, that open our eyes to goodness, truth, and beauty. Um, we can see goodness in in people's virtues. We can see beauty in the natural world. Uh, we we can see beauty even just in words and the way that they express the truth. And then um, truth is what we have when we are actually representing the world in a way that's in, in a way that's accurate. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I've kind of always thought of these words a bit like symbols, you know, thinking that they, they point us to him, they tell us something about him. Um, you know, I'm thinking of, I can remember a day where I was home with a baby, you know, a fairly newborn baby, and a friend brought me a Starbucks, you know, this this kind, this act of kindness pointing, pointing us to him, or, you know, things like when we read to our kids and... Um, we read stories about characters that are being kind and loving. And so would it, am I right in thinking that of it kind of as a symbol pointing us to God? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, GK Chesterton, uh, once wrote that, uh, goodness, uh, God is not a symbol of goodness, but goodness is a symbol of God. Right. And, um, and I think we see that anytime we see goodness in the world, anytime we see it in a kind gesture, anytime we see it in, um, the beauty of the natural world. When I look outside today on a day like today where the skies are blue and there's, uh, snow on the on the mountain peaks um when i when i marvel at that beauty in the natural world it points me to god it points me to the divine artist who uh uh, who who painted this landscape uh with his words and um and so yeah so truth and goodness and beauty anytime that we encounter them in this life even in the in the small acts of kindness like being brought a uh, Starbucks by your friend when you're having a difficult day or, um, when, uh, uh, when you see, when I see my, when I see my children treat each other with kindness, when I see them share with one another, when I, uh, right now we're, 
we're uh, uh, enjoying a visit from my brother and his family who are here from California and their little boy Joel who's just two years old my daughter Naomi who's six has been has been taking care of him the whole time they've been here holding his hand everywhere she goes uh, she she won't let go of his hand and, and he won't let go of hers and it's such a beautiful picture of love uh, and of care and um, and when we see those things when we when we see, when we see them with um, the eyes of our hearts, um, we can see past the beauty of that moment and the beauty of uh, the goodness of that um, uh, of that particular activity, and we can see through it to the God who put this love in uh, your friend's heart, who who helped you on a on a hard day, or in my daughter Naomi's heart when she wants to take care of her little cousin. Um, and show love to him. Uh, we we see through the author of that love, uh, and the source of that love, and that's that's how these um, uh, these these virtues or these goods uh, of goodness, truth, and beauty can point uh, can point beyond um, uh, this this world to uh, to the God who created it. Yeah, and Holly, earlier you had uh, asked whether. These virtues, goodness, truth, and beauty—whether they could be considered Christian virtues, or a Christian could could value these things—and I think the answer to that is is definitely yes. Um, and Paul tells us in Philippians four eight, he says at the end of his letter to the Philippians, "Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is noble, whatever is pure." Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Mm-hmm. And that, when we do that, when we think about what is true, when we think about what is right and pure, when we think about what is lovely, when we think about what is admirable and excellent and praiseworthy, um, we are we are being transformed ourselves. Uh, uh, we are also seeing beyond those goods in this world to uh, the author of all of those good and beautiful things, and um, and so this is this is what we can do, and what we should want to do as Christians is to train ourselves to think about what is true and what is good and what is beautiful, uh, and also to present that to our children. And one of the best ways that we can do that is through uh, the medium of story. We can tell them stories that reveal goodness and truth and beauty to them. And that are memorable and moving, um, and that uh, uh, that that reach into them and that stick in their memories, and that help them to uh, help them to see the goodness and truth and beauty in the world, and not just to see it, but to see beyond it um, to the God that. Yeah, I, I love that, and we talk about that a lot here at Story Formed, and about how you know, so much of what we we think about um, leads us to our decisions leads us to how we treat people. Um, sometimes I think we can underestimate that of um, all that we're putting inside of ourselves is really, you know, causes us to, to choose or to, you know, help us to go one way or another with our thoughts. But, um, I've heard people talk about how icons would have, has, you know, as things that can lead us to God, a way of discovering him. Um, how would you say, you know, that goodness, truth, and beauty, as they appear in stories, as we're talking about, might serve as icons that could lead us to God? Um, yeah, I, icons can 
uh, a point beyond themselves. That's, that's what, you know, an icon is a sort of a, an image um, that, that uh, um, in fact, in, in much of Christian history, there's been sort of a debate about whether icons are good or not, um, uh, whether pictures of the saints are good. Uh-huh. Um, and there, there was a, what was called the iconoclast controversy in early church history, where there were many who thought you shouldn't have any images in your church, you shouldn't have any pictures, uh, not of Jesus, not of uh, his disciples, not uh, not of Mary, um, and others who thought, no, we really should have these icons. They help us to focus on God, and um, and so stories can function this way for us. Um, in fact, even the iconoclasts, the ones that didn't like. Uh, the the uh, the icons in the early church um, were were very much in favor of stories. They just didn't want visual images. Mm-hmm. They just didn't want mm-hmm. uh, visual images that would sort of um, could potentially be used as idols. But stories are wonderful because stories are, um, in fact, Jesus used stories uh, to to reveal truths to us. Um, that are oftentimes hard to see if they were just delivered to us in a non-story form, if they were just delivered to us in sort of a wooden, um, uh, you know, literal, straightforward way. Um, stories help to open up our eyes to truths that um, that it's hard to see otherwise, uh, to beauty that maybe we don't right now have the imagination to even even see or notice. Um, but when we encounter it in a story, uh, it, uh, a well-written story, right. it can be, uh, it can be, it can be a way of opening our eyes to a truth and to a beauty and to a kind of goodness that's possible, uh, that maybe we didn't even realize was possible before. Um, and now we can see what that, what that looks like through, uh, through the skillful storyteller's words. Right. And speaking of well-written stories and what, as we've talked about, you know, stories that would show us what are good, what is goodness, truth, and beauty. Adam, would you would you give us a few recommendations of books that you've enjoyed um, reading with your kids, or ones that you read to them? Yeah. Um, I, I love reading to my kids. It's it's one of their favorite things to do. In fact, they like to do it so much that we often don't have enough time in the right. day to re- read as much as they'd like to. Um, sometimes, some, sometimes I have to go to work. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I'd love to – um, share some of my favorites. So one of my favorites that I like to read to my young children, it's a picture book. Um, it's called Dogger. It's a, it's a book, um, by an author named Shirley Hughes. And it's this beautiful story about a boy who, uh, loses his favorite stuffed animal, a little dog that he calls Dogger, uh, whose fur is all worn out because, uh, Dave, uh, the little boy has carries him everywhere with him, uh, and he loses his little his little uh, favorite stuffed animal, and um, and then uh, uh, and then it turns out that his animal uh, gets picked up and put in a, um, in, a in a used toy uh, stall at a school fair where it's going to be sold uh, as part of a fundraiser for the school, and um, he finds his dog, but uh, but not quite in enough time. A little girl comes along and uh, buys it just before he and his uh, Dave and his big sister Bella come back to the stall, ready to buy up his his uh, stuffed animal back. And uh, and she, and the little girl buys it, 
Um, and then, uh, and then, uh, I won't give all the details away, away about the story, but, um, but Dave's big sister, Bella, as the story says, uh, Bella did something very kind and, uh, and she sacrifices something of her own, uh, to get, uh, Dave's special toy dogger back. Um, and, uh, and, and shows such a great act of, of sisterly kindness and love, uh, that it's just, a, it's a beautiful story. And, um, uh, it's a beautiful picture of, of, as we've been talking about goodness, uh, of real virtue, um, on, on Bella's part. And it's an example, not just for children, but for adults too, of what it looks like to, uh, to put other people before ourselves. Um, and so that's, that's one of my favorites. I haven't heard uh, that one. Have you, have you, have you read that no, one? No, I haven't, but I think, I think we've read is if, if this is the right author, I think we've read some books about Alfie. By yes, yes. Is this the same author? Yes, I believe it is. Yeah, I believe okay. Shirley Hughes also wrote the Alfie books, which yes. are real uh, okay. popular. Yeah, so. I've seen a couple of them. Um, I'll have to find this one. Thank you for that recommendation. Yeah, yeah, Dogger's a great one. Um, I, I I had that book read to me growing up too. It was oh. one of uh, one of our favorites in my home when I was growing up. Yeah. Um, I also love uh, the Little Engine That Could. That's a classic. That's mm-hmm. a such a great depiction of, of compassion and kindness. And, and really it's a, it's a, it's a, um, a literary adaptation of, uh, Jesus parable of the good Samaritan. Um, and the little engine that could is like the Samaritan who came along and saw a neighbor in need and tried to do whatever, uh, she could to, uh, to help, uh, and, and, um, did so out of such kindness. And it's also such a great depiction of courage, um, and, and perseverance. Um, another favorite is Mike Mulligan and his steam shovel. Um, I, uh, I think I know, I, I know you, you know that one, right? Yeah, I know that one. Yeah. Yeah, Mike Mulligan, a steam show, that's one of our favorites. And now, I've, um, as, as you do too, you've got a, a, a teenager now. We've got a preteen, you know, our son Luke is now 12 years old, and he's not really into um, reading with his parents anymore. Uh, not right now, not while he's in middle school. But, uh, um, but, but it's fun that he's starting to get a little bit older and starting to read some of the books that had a real impact on me and my adolescent and teen years. Um, uh, and we get to talk about the themes in them. Um, and so, uh, uh, um, when he was you know, a few years ago, I was able to read him the Hobbit, uh, and then he got super interested in J.R.R. Tolkien and read the entire Lord of the Rings. Um, and, uh, and recently he's read To Kill a Mockingbird um, and, is, uh, and is reading some more, uh, uh, starting to read some more grown-up literature. And it's fun to be able to talk to him about some of the, uh, some of the themes in, in some of these books. How, how have you navigated um, kind of his stage as far as like what he reads? Do you guys he decide or you decide together or how do you figure that out well yeah it's been you know it's been a it's been an experiment you know he's our he's our our first right. so we're sort of learning as we go um he he was always a very avid reader he's slowed down a bit now that he's in middle school and he's a little more interested in uh, socializing with his friends than he is in reading but uh um but it, um, but he was always a real avid reader, and um, I remember I, I tried to read the Harry Potter books with him when he was in about um, fourth or, or fifth grade. I, I, I tried to read through the first Harry Potter book with him, and um, 
And he got so interested in the characters that I don't even think I made it through the first book with him. I think he got so interested that he just stopped waiting for me to be available to read with him. And he just read ahead uh, and, and read all the books. Um, and, uh, and so it's been hard in some ways for me to even keep up and read, uh, read ahead of him yeah. when he gets interested in something. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but we have conversations about the books that he's reading and, um, we, and we trust him. We sort of know his maturity level. Yeah. Uh, I think with each of our kids, it'll probably be different, but, uh, but in his case, he's been able to handle, uh, books that have, uh, more, more, more difficult themes, uh, that are a little bit more adult. Um, uh, and we just try to make sure that we're talking with him about about what he's reading and um, and uh, uh, making sure that you know that he is that he understands it and and I think you know this is importantly related to the idea of, of goodness, truth, and beauty is is one in a way what is really good and what is truly beautiful is is in a way more real um, than what is not. Uh, the, what, God is is the ultimate reality and uh, source of all that exists and that's real. And so what is good and what is what is beautiful ultimately is is in a way more real um, and more true. But um, but that doesn't mean that what is true is always good and beautiful. Um, We live in a fallen world and sometimes the truth is ugly. Sometimes the truth is painful. Um, Sometimes like with uh, to Kill a Mockingbird book, uh, sometimes the truth involves grappling with um, hatred and racism and um, sin and and real ugliness. And so I think um, as we as we try to present truth and goodness and beauty to our children, and we try to get them to love what is good and what is beautiful and what is true, we also um, need to be careful not to shy away too much from uh, truths that are hard. Um, as uh, a, a James James Smith, uh, who's a philosopher at uh, at Calvin College, um, uh, he's got this great line in a in um, a book of his um, called uh, Oh shoot, I'm I'm blanking on the name right now. I think it's called You Are What You Love is the name of the book. Um, and one one great line in that book is uh, he says that um, in this fallen world. Uh, sometimes the best thing we can do is to teach our children how to be sad. Mm. And I think that's a really profound uh, point and insight. And I think that that's something that we do need to learn how to do. We can't just present the world to our children in ways that are always beautiful and good and happy. (laughs) Um, But sometimes uh, help them to see that the world includes uh, things that are, um, that are evil and ugly and, and that bring sadness and um, teaching our children how to be sad, teaching our children that it's okay to be sad, that it's okay to, um, uh, um, be sad when Harry Potter dies and sacrifices himself for his friends or be sad when, uh, some of the, uh, the dwarves in the Hobbit, uh, um, uh, die, uh, trying to protect their, their friends. Uh, that's, um, uh, that's okay. And, and the sadness is pointing to something real. It's pointing to, um, pointing to the badness of death. Uh, pointing to the fact that, uh, that death is a consequence of sin and that if this world were a perfect world, we wouldn't have death. And, um, and so those are opportunities for us to talk to our children about um, the fact that we need 
salvation. We need uh, not just salvation from death, but salvation from the sin in our own hearts, that we need uh, we need God and we need Jesus to um, to save us from ourselves, from from uh, the sinful aspects of our of our hearts, and uh, draw us to the God who we were created to love, uh, the God who is true and good and beautiful. And so, I think that's that's an important thing to keep in mind, especially as our children start to get older, start to be able to read more uh, grown up literature that has um, diff- more difficult themes. Uh, it's important for us to remember that that it, you know we we do have to be careful not to expose them to too much too fast, um, but we also can't shelter them from the evil and the sin in the world forever, and, and we shouldn't try to. Um, it wouldn't be good for them if we did. Um, rather, what we need to do is teach them how to see it, how to know what it is, and how to understand what it means about um, the world and about their relationship with God and about their need for a Savior and, and, and the world's need for a Savior, um, and burden their hearts in the right sort of way. Uh, to be um, agents in this world of goodness and of truth and of beauty. Yeah, I love that, Adam, that, you know, your encouragement to, to, you know, whether we're reading with them, you know, as they get older or not, that we're having those kind of conversations with them, that we're not shutting that out from their life, because we know eventually they're going to get out into the world on their own and experience things. And I think it's so valuable for us as parents and teachers to be able to have those those hard, messy conversations with our kids now and read books that have some of those harder, more troubling themes so that we can be the ones to to talk with them and process about that with them. Yeah. They need that, you know, they, they need that from us and they're, and they're going to encounter it in the world. They're going to encounter sin and evil in the world and, and in their own hearts. Right. You know, we need to remember mm-hmm. that our, our children themselves are uh, as, as <laughs> yeah, innocent as we like to think that they are. <laughs> uh, much of the time they, they are, um, they're sinners too, just like all of us are. And we're all in need of salvation. We're all in need of um, God's sanctification. We need him to come into our hearts and actually transform us by the renewing of our minds so that we, so that we can um, think about uh, things that are true and that are noble and that are right and that are pure and that are lovely and admirable because so often um, we don't think about those things. We don't focus on those things. We, we don't uh, spend our time dwelling on what is good and true. We spend our time dwelling on, um, dwelling on, uh, our, our anxieties about life. Uh, we, we dwell on, um, that which is, is ugly and we sort of even revel in it. Sometimes we, we find ourselves entertained by, uh, by ugliness and by badness. And, and, um, uh, we, we all have those temptations and I think, uh, and I think that we can, um, one of the great things about being a parent <laughs> is that, uh, is that, is that we, we learn with our children, <laughs> um, as we read, uh, great stories to our children, they're reminders to us. They're, they open our eyes um, to goodness, truth, and beauty and help us to focus on what's good and true and beautiful, right? We, um, As we think about what we want our children to be um, thinking about and formed by, um, we also should be thinking about what we ourselves <laughs> want to be thinking about and should be formed by. Um, and and often we, we grow in the process as much as our children do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Adam, do you have any final thoughts before we close up here? 
No, thank you, Holly. I think this is I think it's wonderful, and I think it's wonderful what uh, what you and the others at Storyform are doing to uh, to encourage the the reading of, of quality literature, the reading of books that uh, that that um, introduce our children to the good and the true and the beautiful, and open their eyes to it, and um, help turn their hearts toward it. And I I, uh, I look forward to learning more from you. Um, and uh, about what I can do, uh, learning more from you about what sorts of books I can be reading and, and uh, uh, all the great literature that's out there. And, and so thank you so much for, for having me on uh, with you today. And, um, and, uh, and, and I, I think if anybody wants to um, follow up, I'd be, I'd be happy to. I'm pretty easy to find on social media. I'm on Facebook and I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram at, at Adam Pelser. Um, and my email is just adampelser at gmail.com. So, uh, so pretty, pretty easy to find. Um, they can find some of my writings at, uh, and my website, uh, adampelser.com. And, um, and I'd be happy to, uh, to, to follow up with your listeners. Great. Thank Well, thank you, Adam. Thanks for sharing all that with us. I definitely wanted to lead people to connect with you in various ways that they can. And this has been so amazing. I'm so grateful that you took the time to talk to us about this. I think this uh, your thoughts just clarified a lot for us, helped some of us who are, you know, just diving into these ideas and virtues to get us going. And so I will list all the books that Adam talked about today in our show notes, um, any of the things he recommended and the book that he talked about at the beginning of the podcast as well. So, and just before we go, I just want to promote um, Clay and Sally Clarkson's new book to, to you, The Life-Giving Parent. And I've just started reading it and Um, My husband, Glenn, and I had the opportunity to be on Sally's podcast, and that's going to come out here soon to talk about the life-giving parents. That was really fun, but I'm excited for their main idea in this book being that we want to create a home where children really experience God. I think it's easy for all of us as parents and teachers to, you know, kind of plan out a great Christian life and all the right activities and things for our kids to be involved in, but... They are really emphasizing how can we help our children experience God and so um, in, in, in our home with them. And so I'm really excited to finish it. I encourage you to pick it up. You can pre-order it now. The book will release on May 1st. So I encourage all of you to get it. And thanks for listening today. Bye. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to check out our website at storyform.com for show notes and like us on our Storyform Facebook page and follow us at Storyformed Home on Instagram. Please rate us on iTunes and leave a comment so that others can find out about us too. May you and your family be Storyformed.